Welcome back to Never Too Serious with Scott and Dave. I'm Scott. I'm Dave. So we're on episode number 13, I think, Dave. I've lost count. I can't even count that much. I, let's hope this isn't an unlucky episode. Nope. Man, no, no. This, is, we're just gonna make, this is a kickoff. It's a kickoff. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm still having a good time, so hopefully the shows continue on. I think we're actually doing pretty good. We've yeah. found a lot of different topics. So those of you who are listening, send us uh, an email at mailbag at nevertoserious.com if you want to throw some topic ideas at us. So today's topic... Yeah. Maybe it's not as funny as some other ones, but we live in Oregon, and sometimes we get out to the city, Portland, and the surrounding areas, and what do we see everywhere? Homelessness. Homelessness. We yep. see tent camps. Like everywhere. Everywhere. Intersections underneath the on-ramps. Everywhere. Way out in the open. Yep. Now, you've lived here most of your life. Yeah. I've lived here most of my life. Do you ever remember at any time where it was this bad? Never, never, never. I mean, I, I've watched it grow, if you will. I mean, we never, when I was younger, we didn't have people on the side of the road asking for money. You go downtown, and there would be some bums sitting up on the side of the buildings and stuff, and some of them would ask for money, and some of them just kind of mind to uh mind their own business mm -hmm. but um um we kind of watched it kind of grow and i know that we touched on a little bit last uh might have been our last episode but you know when we had the new transit mm. system put in yeah the max it train. seemed like it, it seemed to grow quicker i'll say that you know it was inevitable you know that that it would happen but i think that that was a big play with you could watch where it grew all the way out to Gresham, which is now, you know, out to my home now. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to come to a stop at an intersection and somebody walks up to my car a foot away from my vehicle. And I'm like, man, are you crazy or are you in need or, you know, I don't know. And I, without being, I'm a little bit numb to the situation, but uh, in other words, I've might sound a little uh, rude or hard when it comes to my feelings towards a lot of the a lot of the homeless population mm -hmm. but it's not shared throughout the homeless population but it's still yeah you kind of get tired of of having the same thing happening in front of you and growing getting right getting yeah. worse and you know the other issue that it brings is is that you have these fake people that also stand on the side of the road and they pander for money too. And you could tell that they're fake. And, and, and you know what is odd is a lot of them also have cell phones. They're out there on cell phones. You know, I seen this one guy, he was sitting there and they all have their special spots, you know, mm -hmm. and this one was off on sunny side. And he's been there for years. He's probably still there. I haven't been there in a while. But he has this like, it was an expensive bike. He has a bike mm. and a backpack <laughs> and a little thing set up sitting out there. But I don't know my, my bikes, but I could tell that he didn't get that at Walmart. You know, that was an expensive bike. He could have stole it, mm -hmm. but I don't think that's what his situation was. Mm. It was his way of getting money and they do get a lot of money. Well, it's interesting to see the changes in homelessness as the years have gone on. Cause I don't know for sure if it's just been, let's say the last five years, or if it maybe it's more like 10 years, 
I'm 40 plus and I this sort of thing didn't exist when I was a kid, except unless if you went downtown, downtown. Portland. And then you knew that if you went under some of these bridges, yep. you'd probably see some some homeless folks. And that's been going on for longer than I could even yeah. remember. That type of... Yeah, but your, to your point about, you know, someone coming, approaching your vehicle, you know, seeing stuff, scamming, you know, having a bike that you go, gosh, that looks like an expensive bike. I've seen folks out in in Gresham, Portland, other areas and they're they're riding you know these bikes that they look like, you know, they got dual shock system, they look pretty sturdy, nice tires and you can tell like the braking systems are like the really nice, nice disc ones, ones yeah. you know. And you go that's that had to have been a really expensive bike. I wonder and maybe I sound like a jerk, but I wonder who he stole that from. Right. That's my immediate thought because I if if you are a homeless person and you're riding around a bike that's, you know, 800 plus dollars. Well, do you ever see from? a lot of them? They're not even riding them, they're just pushing them yeah. and they even have a little trailer and something I may do is I might I have a little say like if you're not riding it, you're stealing it on my PA. <laughs> I actually said that to one guy actually down the road here and he jumped on the bike and rode it. Uh, really? <laughs> it was well, funny. The PA system's coming in handy, isn't it? <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah, but but um, but the differences of like I said is back then, or I said the homelessness going downtown went on for a long, long time. But that was that was to me was a certain way. I mean, always that way. But I feel that the homelessness is uh, uh, the population has changed, where you do still have those type of there i think there's groups yeah there's those type that are truly homeless and been homeless and uh miserable life but there are also other people they became more aggressive you know and and um and and more mm-hmm. people and they're not necessarily homeless it's been a choice mm-hmm. and it's a way to get out, away from the system for some of them and can live in these little camps where I was reading in, in Portland, there's a camp with 25 tents and this group has 80 people there. And, and I even looked in inside, um, one and the gal that was showing the inside of her tent made of tarps or whatever. It looked like a nice room and stuff. I mean, it's her home, but they don't, they don't clean up around them. We clean up around them. And they, I'm sorry, but that's for people that are, are putting money into the society to be a better society, be a clean, healthy society. We want it better. We want it nice. We don't want that because it is a scar on all of our efforts and our money. And, and, and with the health issues, I think I could be wrong. I think it's at least 30% of them claim that they had, they got they get staph infections, UTIs and, and scabies and lice mm-hmm. because they don't clean. And the bathroom, it's only okay. a small percentage <laughs> of them will go try to buy a coffee so they could use the facilities. Mm-hmm. But that's the other issue is they defecate ev- everywhere. And that's not a that's not a hoax. It's true, and it's disgusting. And and we should be in a standard at this point in time in our life to expect better, 
to be able to walk down and go like I feel terrible for San Francisco. I mm-hmm. talked to you a little bit about it that that they had I've kept reading a bunch of claims that they say that Portland's the worst and I know it's bad or maybe Oregon but Portland I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But they and I thought San Francisco where it appears that they even given up on cleaning it up was even worse. So I feel terrible for both places but I, I I can't believe that we've allowed that it to get this far. I mean, do you know how it could have gotten that bad? Well, I I wrote down some different some different stats on like different locations. the The places that were most you know were West Coasters, right? So the areas that that I saw most of was L.A., San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle, and those are the big locations where it seems to be. Uh, this migration of homelessness, right? People c- come from and out of, in some cases, it's only out of county. In many places, it's out of state. And people are migrating into these locations because the laws are very relaxed for homeless populations. Because they almost put, it seems like they have things that they offer them, it seems like, for them. There's, it seems like that makes them you know, get drawn to that, the, because there's, yeah. I think the city gives out little or tries to give out grants or facility abilities here and there for them. So I think it, it enables them to come. I agree. I think that's, to there. that's very true. Uh, there is a, a fair amount of government support and services for people who are living on the street or homeless or uh, low income. There are a lot of different services. There's also a lot of, a lot of private, uh, in, I, I guess, you can call them companies, businesses, uh, nonprofits, who also then support that same population. And I think the big, the, the biggest problem for me is not just that, because I don't think providing those services are a bad thing. I think what bothers me the most is the relaxing of the laws to allow this behavior to take place. Homelessness, of course, can happen to a lot of different people for a lot of different That's reasons. Right. So I get that, and, I, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to that, but I also think that this influx of homeless people coming in is not because the services that are offered here. I think it's because they are relaxing the laws, the city ordinances, the, the laws about camping, litter, yeah. uh, uh, drug use. That's we a good just angle. De- just we because just, of the new law they just passed makes it even easier for them to go live their drug lifestyle. That's right. They've and, decriminalized. Right. Yep. And and that's a good point. What I was trying to point out before was like there's, I feel there's classes or, you know, yeah, or categories, groups, categories mm-hmm. of homelessness. And for me, I know, like I said, I know I might sound hard or unsympathetic, but I truly am when I say we need to, lack of better words, round them up. <laughs> And go through them and find out the people with mental illness and give them help because that's what they need. We have services for that, like the hospital and the jails. They both provide that type of of help, and they both happen to be kind of open now due to COVID, so perfect for that. And and there's other groups that want to be, you know, just, uh, you know, being druggies and drug addicts and stuff. And... There's also some people hiding from the law, and they need to go through them and and get people in jail that belong in jail, get people the help that needed the help, and then we got to figure out, help me with this, the people that go out there because that's just the lifestyle they want to try to do and live. 
what? Tell them go to Alaska and say have at it. There's a lot of different strategies that the different places use. You know, we were talking to my brother earlier, and he's down in southern Oregon, and he was talking about the sheriffs rounding up every month, going in and clearing out these different areas. They have a, a green belt down there, which is similar to what we have as a spring water trail, which is just a biking, you know, walking path that's miles and miles long with, um, um, we'll say, forested area around it. And those homeless people tend to create these camps in those forested areas, create all kinds of, of dangerous situations. There's garbage everywhere. There's all kinds of different uh, drugs and, and criminal activity going uh-huh. on. It's just not a good thing to have in a you know, in, in, in any location, but he was talking about them coming in and doing sweeps and getting them out of there. Some, some strategies, they will buy them bus tickets to anywhere, but here and just get them out of the, out of the, the city. But I don't know. I don't know that any of those are really good solutions long-term. Sure. In certain situations, okay, maybe that can work to a certain extent. But I think what you're onto with the categories is a terribly important uh, thing to understand because you can't just lump them all into, okay, they're just homeless, and so we all provide them housing. That's not the solution. Your categories and separating them out and figuring out solutions that, that fit with each one is a much better strategy, but that's not what our politicians do. Right. Well, here's the other situation is, they being the our state or whoever that's in charge of of our housing and and renting um, needs to stop it. Even if we didn't have a pandemic, they need to. Re- it's ridiculous what you have to pay for not much of a house these days, and how hard is it for anybody up and coming? to try to go get a home, and I mean a tiny home, even off of, you know, just starting out. I mean, that should be everybody's dream, but it is such a reach. It's such a reach to get a, a place to rent. Mm-hmm. They have got to put a cap on that, make it more available for people instead of these homeless people. How will they ever, even even if they were homeless with a job, because I do believe there's some people that are homeless living in here and will break out and go to their little nine to five, but mm-hmm. but how are they going to they ever going to even afford a one bedroom apartment when it's a thousand bucks a month? Yeah, I so along those lines. So I'm a free market kind of guy. I think that the private sector can do a ton of things that are great for basically all populations. And when government gets in the way, you start to see these other problems. And I think what you're talking about having like some sort of cap on, on rent to me, government needs to get out of the way and allow for low cost building, allow, allow free, the free market, the companies that are builders, the, the folks that are building, let's just say tiny homes, let's get the government out of the way and allow those tiny homes to be built and placed in areas where it doesn't cost so much to actually produce that thing. Right. There, there's, there's a, a program in Seattle and I, I don't remember the name of it. Something about the block project or something like that. I can't remember, but it's, it's a father and daughter. They're two architects and they're, 
basically trying to create these tiny homes that are self-sustaining. And the idea, they built this sort of network and, and networking structure with other people. They've got an app to people who want to participate in the program. And their goal is build this self-sustaining home, which is only, I want to say it's like 200 square feet. It's, it's small, but it has a composting toilet. It's got a rain collection system solar panels it's got basic you know shower Mm -hmm. space you know that and and they want to be able to put these in people's backyards who are willing to have them in their backyard and there's a vetting process that go that they go through so that the homeless person is a certain you know they're not going to be a threat you know there's there's some things that they have to go through in order to qualify Mm -hmm. for this but the idea is to get these this affordable housing in place so that people who are struggling uh, will have a place to go. And the idea is government often gets in the way of these type of things because there's certain building codes. Things have to be a certain way. I agree with all of that. You know, and they have to have a certain amount of uh, distance between structures. They have to be on certain foundations (laughs) there. I mean, there's a certain number of people who are allowed to dwell in a certain size house. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different regulations and I don't know enough about to say which ones should come and go, but I think government often creates hurdles in the ability to create affordable housing for po- for folks who can't afford a thousand dollar a month rent, and you had mentioned, you know, there are homeless people who are still doing a job; they just can't afford it. Right. Well, think about the folks who lose their job, who now don't have a place to live. It's hard to get a job if you are smelly, if you're dirty. That's right. It's also hard to get a job if you don't have an address. So yep. it creates some Big real time. problems yeah. to even get your foot back in the door. So the idea that, you know, we should get some of these these government, you know, restrictions kind of out of the way and allow maybe a little <clears throat> bit more free market influence to come in and provide and build these yeah. things. And the community, to be honest, there's a lot of people who ha- have big hearts and they would like to have uh, to be able to contribute to the well-being of some of these, these yeah. different folks. For me, the issue I have with that, because I agree with all the hurdles. I agree with that. There's way too many issues and red tape that we have to go Mm -hmm. through, which I know all it takes is money. You can do whatever you want as long as you have the money. But my issue with that is, is I like the homelessness is a problem. I don't care what category you're in is a problem. And I don't feel that to resolve a problem that I don't feel the best way to resolve a problem is by handouts Mm -hmm. and giving them that is not going to change their their mindset it's going to be given to them now i was all on board with it when i thought these people were to buy them and it Mm -hmm. was cheap Mm -hmm. not to be hey we're going to find a good place that we're willing to set it up and these people are going to let you be here we're going to give it to you i mean i get that the governments might give them grants to build them and pay for it but I feel that in order to fix anything is there has to be ownership and that will give respect to what they own Mm -hmm. and yes, on properties, I would be happy to have, you know, a few things out there to help me. I got to get something back out of it too. Mm -hmm. And I want to help too, but you cannot, in my opinion, it will be less effective if not, not effective at all. If you hand it out to them. Agreed. And, and that means, I mean, when you're mentally and if, depending on their mental illness, 
that's the thing is, is I don't even think that even if you have, like I ran across when I was younger, um, because I don't, I try to stay away from downtown now. And, you know, you, you could almost not even tell. I mean, the guy, you know, a lot of the homeless people almost look like the color of the concrete. Every layer of their clothes, or there's one color, their face, they've been out and out there for years, you know, and they don't even notice you. And um, I just feel that if they were giving, given, if he was given a home, he would still be that way. I don't think that would be the right help for him. I think somebody like that needs help and a home and care. And and I think that we need jobs. And I think if any of our tax money goes to anything, not clean up, how about our tax money goes to help those people? Because it may seem, it may seem um, that I'm being heartless, but it's, I want to hit it. I, if I, if it was me, I would hit it head on and, 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 and I think it would be closer to being resolved, but it has, it would have to be work for both sides. So there's one, one piece of that, that I think needs to be added and that is structure. So all of those pieces that you touched on hundred percent agree. One thing that I think is missing is just the, the importance of having structure in your life. The problem with a lot of different, even age groups, you know, I, I work with, with different, uh, different age groups through my job, through coaching, you know, teenager of my own, um, in order to be functional in society, you have to have some level of structure for just even your day. Your day, absolutely. And, I absolutely agree. And a lot of these homeless folks, they they have zero structure. They've sort of fallen into this, although it is uncomfortable, they're still within this comfort zone where they are comfortable enough not to go outside of it and do something that's really difficult on top of where they're at in order to get themselves out of it. And... I think along what you're talking about earlier with ca- these categories, we can address the different issues with these different categories and probably find some pretty decent solutions for the folks who are not severely mentally ill. Then there's some potential there. If they're not high on drugs constantly, right. there are some things that you can provide to get them to a, ne- a next step. In right. some cases, like, for instance, let's talk about some of the, the mental illness stuff. There are different levels of mental illness, and in some cases, it's just medication, right. which, by the way, the, the government has services to provide for that. It's just a matter of you being responsible and taking your medication. And there are so many ways to get yourself to a point where uh, you are capable of handling things on your own. But I think that structure piece is the, the, the most important. There's a, I think it's in Kansas city. There's this, uh, veterans. Uh, I think it's a, like a community veterans project or something. I can't remember. I have to look at my notes, but, uh, they basically were able to uh, acquire some land and they've been building these tiny homes, which are like 250 square feet. I might've you might have seen that. that. Yeah. And they, it's really for veterans, who are homeless and you have a limited amount of time that you can kind of live there. You have to pay some, some sort of like, it's not, yeah, it's not like you're paying rent, but you have to have a job. There are certain requirements in order for you to qualify to even be in, in this program, but they provide the structure, which is that I think that's the important part because once you find 
a, a, a routine that includes a job, have some sort of structure, you can kind of build on top of that and expand from it and then move on to whatever that next thing is. It's the same thing with these dang high schoolers that have zero structure and they just barely sk- skate through high school or they don't even make it through high school and they continue to live without structure right. and, they're and they're a failure the rest of their life. Their goal is to just hang out at home and as long as I can, as long as I can, and mm-hmm. then what? Mm-hmm. So there are some of those people in the homeless camp because they don't have, they don't, I really believe that they don't want the structure. They don't want to, I don't want to go get a job. They don't want to do anything and they mm-hmm. can't do basement life. Mm-hmm. So they're moved out there. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it's dangerous. There's a lot of crime that goes on and, um, and violent crimes too. But, you know, the most of them, I think if I, I think I read in Multnomah County in, I want to say 2018 and 2019. So it's recent enough to be valid that, that 50% of the homeless have, had been arrested Mm -hmm. and, and for, for criminal trespass for, um, oh, what else? There, there was four main things here. What was it, a drug uh, possession? Was it that in any of it? Actually, it it, it was not. Hmm. It was criminal trespass, theft, and I think it was theft of two degrees. They said there was four main things, hmm. and I think there was the uh, theft to one degree and another degree. So I think it was two, and disorderly conduct. Oh, and and it was said that fifty percent or more of the calls that they go on are in f- because of the homelessness. That is huge. I did not know that. And so if you take the money it costs for them to go on those calls, the money it takes that it costs to for cleanup, the money it takes that it costs for the the options and grants that they do have already in place, which could be better, but still are there, the money that they take for that and pull all that, that the extra cost and, and into putting in how to really help these people and pay, take that money to the mentally ill and pay for the doctors to have that care, one-on-one care, whatever the hell it is, mm-hmm. because we're blowing so much money on, just like, you know, if you ever, I can't tell you what it is. I want to say it was a hundred grand or something, but like a prisoner, it takes a hundred grand of tax money for them to live a year and in prison. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you know, something's wrong there. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the actual numbers are, I but I know. think they are pretty dang They're high. high. Mm-hmm. And I remember this is years ago that a number like that came out and then a number came out or I think it was that I think a number like that came out and people said, what the heck? Why? And they found out the fools were getting cable in there and they got there and it was like astronomical amount of money to, for them to have cable. And they got their cable cut, I think due to that. Uh-huh. It's long ago. It's, I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly, but, but well, there are, there are so many different costs involved with, uh, with the, the jails and the prison system that we just don't know us being outside of it, but there's major costs involved with it. And I don't know where all the services you know, you know how they contract for it. If it's in house, if it, I don't, I don't know any of that stuff. But I know that there's a lot of stuff that we just don't know in their cost structure. Well, right. But you know what we could do because one of the biggest issues why it even is here is when with 
we could stop turning a blind eye. And I mean, not us. We really can't. We could go out and maybe help their day for a day by giving them a little bag of, you know, a care package. But we need them to stop, in my opinion. Like, like they're, they're thinking about, like they put up the, these porta potties. Maybe that's cheaper than the cleanup. But it's, so they put up things like that for them. And they're thinking about building like a, a center or something for the homeless. And that's also all this extra money that could be going somewhere else mm-hmm. to help them or literally not enable them. And I feel that this is all the way to enable and which, in my opinion, will make it worse. I think there's a lot of, of enforcement of the rules, of the laws, ordinances, whatever it is, that needs to take place. We, uh, too much of our law enforcement are, they're just, they're not enforcing what they would normally enforce on anyone else. That homeless population seems to have this extra exception just because they're homeless. They can camp out on the street. There's no money in it. Yeah. Well, they can find them every time they see them and get what? No money. Mm -hmm. There's no revenue. Well, think about this. What happens if you get so many fines? Then don't you get arrested? Yeah, don't you get that, maybe you put sent in jail. Yeah, but that still costs money. That doesn't bring in the money. One one benefit to that that I can think of, and I agree with you, they're not getting any money out of this. It's just costing them. But one benefit that, that someone might get out of going to jail, and that is, they, uh, you know, they get a, a place to sleep, they get a meal, roof over the head, get cleaned up. They also have time to detox. Well, no, that's. I and agree. I think that's a good possibility. That's a good resolve for me. I, I was thinking you were talking about from the homeless standpoint, mm-hmm. because I think the homeless standpoint, if that was such a good idea, then why wouldn't they go commit a crime just to go get out of? <laughs> no, they get, don't want to go. Right. That's the thing is they so want the freedom they, still. Exactly right. They do. They do want to be in their own little world without uh, government, without society bugging them. They, right. they want to be able to they live their life the way that they want to live it, even though how they've decided to live it is breaking a whole bunch of laws. Right. And, and the thing is, is I do too, but I'd mm. like to not have to do that while you guys are having some spat over your, who used what needle last. <laughs> yeah. Because it's true. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not, and since we already said it a hundred times, I shouldn't, I'll say it one last <laughs> night. I'm not trying to generalize. I know mm. that there is a lot of different situations mm. out there that are some people that have no choice but there's a lot that do trust me there. That's why it's growing. I mean, what is it? 15,000 people in Oregon any given day. Yeah. Producer, can you blow up some of those stats? Uh, so Oregon was 15, I think, what'd you say? 15,000. Uh, let's show the map there for us. Uh, 151,000 in California, 21,000 in in Washington. What's, what's interesting though is, and I don't think this has the stats on it, but what's interesting is asking, because you know, they have to figure out who's homeless and they do these different counts and who knows how accurate they are. But in some cases they're, they're checking, they're actually talking to these folks and asking, so where are you from? And one of the stats that I saw from Seattle was that 50% of the population of homeless people are actually from outside of the county or outside the state. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So there's a huge amount of people coming into it. And of course, the categories that you're talking about earlier, being able to kind of separate out and, and dealing with them is slightly different. Did you hear of this place called Dignity Village? 
in I, Portland. I have heard about that, yeah. So I have a little bit of history with Dignity Village, not because I was a resident, but because I was a neighbor. Uh, over, I used to coach for Concordia University, and they, have, they built this, this throw center. So all of my coaching sessions were out there. Concordia had their team out there. And across the street was a, I think it's a, it's a prison. And, uh, and then right next to them is this homeless village. Hmm. And they call it Dignity Village. The history behind it, there's, there's a picture of it. So there are all these you know tiny shacks that people live in. Uh, what's interesting is that it's a relatively clean environment there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Dignity the Village uh, stemmed from these encampments in Portland, and this is back when Portland was enforcing the no camping ordinances, and so they kept getting, their community kept getting pushed out, and it eventually split into three different encampments. One of them went to one place in Portland, right. another to another place, and Dignity Village was one that sort of grew some legs the city i believe it's the city had this property and they basically allowed them to set up their camp because it's outside of kind of outside of the city limits it's near the portland airport but it's kind of out away from it and they became a nonprofit organization so they actually are a 4013c or something and so they can accept donations to People can get tax deduction for donations to it. The community has all these different guidelines. So it's a working community. It's a very, it's exactly. They have structured, like you were saying. Structured, exactly. And not that this is a perfect model for, for the rest of the world for, you know, dealing with homelessness, but there are aspects of their model that I think are worthy of looking into. Uh, let me pull up some of the rules that they have because in order, in order to become part of this, they have to find, they have to fill out this, this paperwork and be accepted into the community. There's a board that controls the community, but they have certain entrance rules. These are agreements that they, you know, these are rules they have to agree to, uh, no violence to yourself or others. Pretty normal, right? No theft, no, uh, no alcohol, no illegal drugs or drug paraphernalia on site or within a block of their site. Hmm. I'm not sure how they enforce all that. You go there, get ripped, and run back <laughs> into your little cat. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, uh, let's see. No consistent disruptive behavior. Uh, I see that in downtown Portland and other places all the time. People get harassed. Yeah. In fact, at Gresham, I had some experiences when I was out coaching at Gresham High School, and we had homeless people going back and forth just outside the track area and just yelling at us and commenting on what we were doing and yeah, being kind of a pain. Hmm. So Disney village also has a minimum of 10 hours a week of sweat equity, they call it. So they have a work requirement as part of this. The other is, there's a few other things, but the other that I think is important, it says they have a maximum limit of two years of residence. Hmm. So, this is a temporary place to develop some of that structure to do some work. They also sell stuff in like the local Saturday market and some other things. And so they're, they're developing some skills. There's a bit of a community. It kind of gives people gives some room to grow. Yeah. Room to some grow. Roots in, the, mm-hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, because of though the structure that you said there, you know, looking at it, it looks little third third world, you know. Oh yeah, 
ish with the you know, the little little uh, shacks that they built, but um, it's clean. Yeah, and that to me is is a great plan because of the work that they have to put in. They have to put get involved in their own little um, what is it village, you know, which. And that's that's the deal is is so many people even forgot how to live and and they need to they need to learn but mm-hmm. all this money is going to enabling them not mm-hmm. cuz this isn't enabling them at all mm-hmm. but because they have a place that they could call their own they could ha- well I love that they call it dignity because mm-hmm. they could have some dignity mm-hmm. and grow some confidence because like I said, no matter what reason, even if you, even if you're a person that just want that you want to go out there, you have options. You're not handicapped. You're mentally stable-ish. You know, there's all there's something that's not you know right. And I don't want to be. I get the point of the idea and the thought of you know wanting to go up to the woods and live and not be bothered by anybody. I get that. But I also don't want to be in, in, in the venture of doing that. I feel need, I feel you need to make sure that you're not a sore to anybody else. And I feel that the big difference is, is that they're okay being a sore and a leech uh, to society. Cause I think there's an option to kind of live their way if they want to work a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that that's, the biggest problem is nobody wants to work anymore. Yeah, that's one of that's one of the many things. I mean, yeah. I don't want to work anymore either. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I want to be done. But well, so I I went over to the throw center. I, I want to say that it was like late summer, and we had so back when we when we were at the throw center. So Concordia University is no more. Portland campus is no more. I don't know. If I yeah, sad, sad story. That. So they, they kind of shut down. I'm not sure what they're going to be doing next. But uh, we had a, a pretty good relationship with the folks over at Dignity Village. The Throw Center, it's, a, a, it's basically this open air area. There's a, a little, there's a good picture of it right there. Basically two walls. It, there's no security. And so we had a good relationship with the folks at Dignity Village where we kind of just ask them to kind of keep an eye on the, on the place. And we used to kind of support them with, you know, food drives and some other things, but, but the, the area was pretty good, pretty well monitored. Yeah. Well, I, I went, I went over there this summer and Concordia is kind of shut down and we were going to do some little miniature cause we were in COVID some miniature throwing competitions with a few different athletes. We went over there and I couldn't believe how disgusting the human feces uh, uh, really? spray paint tagging the nets that were used to throw, uh, you know, things into or use as protection from getting objects hit. Uh, nets were, were cut down. The most of the metal that existed that could be salvaged is gone. The there's a street that's 33rd street that runs along. It splits the throw center from the airport area there. I couldn't believe how many caravan, you know, trailers had been parked there with just, just junk everywhere and homeless people fighting with each other. These were all people that were not part of dignity village. 
It's just that Portland decided to stop enforcing the rules. And I worked there for, I want to say it was eight years and never saw a broken down car out on 33rd. No one was camping out there. It was always well-maintained. And going out there and seeing it, it was unbelievable. It made me just wonder about the city of Portland and how well they were just going to take care of any of that stuff. Uh, That it's not even my stuff that just makes me sad. I mean, I, I hate that when you first brought it up saying that you, when you were talking about Concordia and you had to share, you know, your neighbors with Dignity Village, I, I was expecting, um, stories of them being a pain, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I wasn't expecting that story. It is sad that the story had to end in shit. Mm -hmm. Oops. Yep. In crap. <laughs> Bleep that out. <laughs> Try not to cuss. It's it's just it's really sad. It was such a, a phenomenal dream of Mac Wilkins to have this facility and we trained Olympians at this place. Um and leave it right, to human think, beings yeah. to just go I our why current, can't we why do we have to be that way, man? Our our current Olympic record holder champion, Ryan Krauser, uh in the shot put trained at the throw center we yeah we'd see him there and uh, he was throwing discus and shot at different times uh out of that place and it was just a beautiful thing and then looking at it now it's just it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous but i think that it's a combination of just not enforcing the laws and allowing this thing to continue i don't think that it's necessarily the responsibility of of uh, portland to give them an alternative i just think enforce the laws enforce don't let them right um camp out and do those things because i guarantee you these people want to be left alone and if they're not left alone they're going to go someplace else where they can be left alone because that is one of the big things that they just they just want to live their life and not be bugged well and, and the other side of it i agree uh but the other side of it is is that we're not allowed to take care of ourselves either we are not allowed to go out there and and clean it up, which, yeah, I, there's no way around it, but getting physical or whatever it takes. I mean, it's not very likely that you're going to be able to go out there and go, all right, that's it. Clean it up, get out of here without, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of a tussle. But regardless, when is it okay to take, I mean, it's your city, it's your life. And when you're going to, when it goes as far as now you're just crapping on the street on the mm-hmm. f- everywhere when can we take it back i mean when is our right to how about this if you're going to turn a blind eye turn a blind eye to oh that guy's get taking care of some business over there at the cop now turn your blind eye <laughs> you know but i don't I well feel... th- there are a lot of different solutions from different uh, organizations out there and a lot of people are you know angry about it enough to complain and and want to see some change, but I don't think there's really a great single solution. I, I really don't think the government's very good right now at at handling any of these kind of no. things. No, I believe that they are the response. They are responsible of why it's grown so uh, much over the last few years. Is I believe that they have literally turned their blind, turned their mm-hmm. eye from it, and which enabled it to get uncontrollable Mm -hmm. like like you said and i know the more population the more homeless you know but but back in the day when we went downtown 
usually that's where all the homeless people were. And that's, I mean, there's a reason why it bloomed out of that. And, and, and it's not just homelessness, they're camps. Mm-hmm. It's not, there's a difference than the homeless. I mean, cause I remember, I, me- I gotta say, I remember this one guy and he was just sitting there and I'm not kidding you. He had about eight layers of clothes on and all of them looked the same color of dirt. Mm-hmm. His shoe singular mm-hmm. and his, um, uh, his socks and everything was just one color. And I pulled up and I had like 10 bucks on me and I said, Hey, and he wouldn't even look up. Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey, he finally looks up. I go, you hungry? You need another shoe? You had one Mm -hmm. shoe. Uh And all I had was 10 bucks, which was a lot of money for, this is why I worked at WPX. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was downtown. You were near the uh, throw center. Oh, Mm -hmm. is that right? Yep. The entrance to that was on 33rd. Oh, really? Well, when you said 33rd, I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize exactly where that was. Yeah. But, you know, those those people are are the ones that are really, I feel, are in need. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, he is just, he needs help. He can't give himself help. I mean, when he got, when he, op- I'm not kidding you, when he opened his crusted eyes and looked up and he was thankful, but he hardly said a word and he needed help, help. Those are the type of folks that's going to take a lot more of a, a time and resource commitment to get them out of the situation that they're in because they're not capable of, doing the things necessary to get right. him out of it. I, I really think that, well, let me ask you, I think this is probably when we were kids, but do you remember the state-run hospitals that were like for the mental health folks? Oh, I spent some time there. <laughs> I, I will say this. I, I've heard about them, like, but... I thought that we had state-run so, mental hospitals. But I heard that they were all shut down. Yeah, that, that's that's what I heard, and which was part of the lead to the mental illness, people with mental illness, being off to roam mm-hmm. around, and and those are part of the people that I know I said hurt them up, but we do. Mm-hmm. You, they need help. They're not just people that can help themselves. Like like maybe they could have some medication and they could be. But the care, but the amount of money, if you go around all the enabling grants and stuff that they're putting together and then on top of you know the cost to build a facility and to maintain and all this stuff they could give these places open them up the hospitals and give somebody a job to care for those people because they need it and there's no reason why you can't have a good person you know one to five people caring for people i mean kind of like you know, you, they have homes, in fact, where they take care of old people and, and an in-home situation. And I think there might be a limit to like five people per home, something like that. And I think that there should be a way to get them off the street into that, even state tax funded. Why? Because we're already spending tax money on their cleanup and all that stuff that should go to helping those people that don't have a way Mm because they need the care and the help. And some Mm -hmm. of those people could hardly even feed themselves, even if there was food in front of them. Yeah. Well, and you're talking about the enabling part, there has to be uh, some sort of line drawn there. So it's not an enabling of their behavior, but it's rather a a way of, of improving their life. In some cases, their mental health issues are so 
so so bad that they're just not going to. So those are the folks that we do as a society then take care of, right? Because they can't take care right. of themselves. If you're going to go throw money at the situation, don't throw money. I mean, believe it or not, don't even throw money literally to them. Mm-hmm. Throw it to the build that structure for mm-hmm. them that you were talking about. I think there's some some potential in in some of these nonprofit organizations to be able to create environments that would cater to the categories that you're talking about earlier. I think of it in terms of like maybe kind of like a dorm work camp sort of thing where you've got all of these people who need some structure. They need a place to live. So in many cases they are, they consider themselves disabled, but really they're not. They're fully capable of doing different things in an environment let's just say that it's kind of like a farm environment where they're producing some sort of product. Maybe it's crops or community, your own food. At yeah. Least, you yeah. Know? And, and so there's, there's a possibility that there's some, some work available that's, you know, manual labor. There's also the potential for work, you know, sweeping and mopping floors or maintaining property, uh, landscaping. Maybe it's uh, outreach stuff like, you know, Dignity Village does where they create crafts and then they go to the market and sell those mm-hmm. crafts. So there's a lot of opportunity to to have some value. And most people want to feel valued right and if you can provide a a level of structure where there's certain expectations eliminate the the drug and alcohol and those uh, the the chemical pieces of of someone's um problems and provide some level of on-site health care for you know different things but again we're got to separate out some of these categories because in some cases there are folks that will not fit into that environment Because the people that choose to be homeless, because there are some, um, they, I don't know if they have, I feel that they don't know what it feels like, um, to be rewarded, of you know, Mm -hmm. your sacrifice and, you know, to go, wow, I did that work and this is the result is the outcome. And then the personal feeling that you get out of it far exceeds the but I really don't want to do it, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, but the, it, it's energizing, and and it, it could be, um, it could make it can make it repetitive. Mm-hmm. Like you want to do it again. Yeah, it can be a step to something better and yeah. better. And you know, you start impacting someone's mental state and give them confidence in their ability to yep. to grow. You'd be surprised in how much they can grow. I think in an environment where you've got again, those categories separated out and handled a little bit differently, but provide this sort of uh, ability for structure to help them grow and, and, and get out of this. I think there's, uh, I think there's a business model there that is, is, is doable. And, and I think that it's one of those models that you could replicate across the country and, and who knows, maybe even in other countries, but I think that the government kind of needs to get out of the way of some of this stuff and put money into programs that actually show success instead of throwing money at, at these things where like Seattle, I think I was reading that, that based on their homeless population, they were spending close to $80,000 per homeless person in different services, housing, uh, security, like, you know, we're talking police uh, responses. And that's a lot of care for each person. 80 in grand. A home. Think yeah. about this. This is perfect. If I, and then how about let me have the ability, um, and with a low cost home 
Like I could go buy, I'm just saying, two or three thousand square foot home, and I can have a place that I could take care of four or five of those people. And guess what? That eighty grand each. Guess what? Let's get that out of there. Fifty grand each coming into, and I could pay for all their needs, and I could have a profit on it because I deserve it. It's work and it's care, and they could have a real life and have the care. Because I I look at it a, a lot like older people where they cannot when they get to a point they can't take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. If they don't have a family, if they don't have money, where do they go? And your mom used to take care of old, older um, yeah adult ladies. foster care right. or whatever. There yeah. you go. That's mm-hmm. what's called. And they get to have a great life for the rest of their their lives. And uh, but it. That co- takes money, and it, and it costs money to have that care, and that is a great lifestyle. Than even being put in a in a bigger home, you know. Not, not, I'm sorry, that's mm-hmm. a foster home, but facility. Yeah, you know. So I think that there should be able to create these better yeah. and enhance everybody's lives, including the caretaker should be some and, combination of and strategies. The, if it's 80 grand for each one for cleanup and stuff, I think that say, okay, fine. We know we're paying that. I mean, it should be a bean counting moment. Let's take this here. Yeah. Well, we're going to pay those caretakers an awful lot. We just saved this much money and these people are going to be vetted. These people are going to be, um, their whole goal in life is to be, or not in life, but in their job is to better their lives. I mean, like they're going to be passionate about what they're doing mm-hmm. and then, yeah, pay them well, pay, use the, use, and heck, it might even be cheaper than that, but, but, you know, it could win for everybody and people could have a good life mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to suck the life out of the other people, you know, in society and, and the caretaker, you know, I they don't have to get the worst caretaker there is either. Yeah. And, and again, I think that these are different strategies that can be used pretty successfully with all these different categories that you're talking about. Right. And I mean, if, if you look at it, at that as a, as a, as a potential like opportunity for private sector, I mean, there's an opportunity like the adult foster care. There's money in that. Right. I mean, there's a lot of in, in our area, there's a lot of like Russian families who run these type of, of care facilities. And I don't know why it's it's mostly Russian families that do it, but they will. It's probably word of have, mouth and it makes sense. So maybe. Got- but I know that when when my mom did it and, um, you know, our, our friend's mom did it, they they made really good money at it. Now, it's not an easy job, nope. but there was good money in doing it. And in those folks live pretty happily in those yes. in those environments. I try to think so, of what those those ladies would have lived like not being there. Mm-hmm. Because I personally had a lot of fun. I helped take care of them. Sure. I was there as part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I personally know that I had brighten up their days mm-hmm. at times and 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 they wouldn't have gotten that somewhere else so on top of you know having an opportunity for the private sector to to do things like this then we need the public sector to do their job which means here are the laws enforce them right you can't allow people to camp on the street anymore you can't allow for things like you know littering and you know stealing and all these other things 
you can't allow that because that enables the people to then live in those environments instead of these other well, environments. Well, they have, so, and again, I'm just saying, and I'm, I'm sure I've even touched base on other areas of money that could be saved if they attempted to wipe out the homelessness situation. Um, but the... <laughs> Uh, oh, my mic went dead there a minute. <laughs> Darn. I don't think it was your mic, Dave. No. <laughs> There's a circuit in my brain or two that so comes unconnected funny. once in a while. So funny. Oh. I could actually see it disappear. Just <sighs> watching you. It was really... <laughs> it happens all the time. So funny. Um, oh, I can't remember what my point was. Darn. Well, uh, I think... Overall, there's opportunity for some smart people, business people to create these models. You know, there's some, you know, folks in Seattle who are trying to do this, you know, that block project or whatever they're, they're calling it, the Dignity Village type folks, the, you know, there are, there are community uh, folks who are trying to do these sort of things. And I think that there, there could be some opportunity to develop them in a, in a better way. But I think the government really kind of needs to do their, their part in enforcing the laws. And if there are services, let's focus that on, on stuff that we know works, not just throw money at it and, and hope, you know, we're not looking for like really, like new things, we're looking at stuff that we we know we can see is going to be successful, right. and I don't think the politicians are the people in the know I to make this happen. I don't even think it's even in their conver- in their thoughts to have a conversation about. Um, um, my point, fish on. Mm-hmm. Huh? <laughs> my point was is that there's plenty of money out there for people to take from to to be able to implement these new ideas. So they have parking meter people that go around and just monitor parking, right? And then they have regular cops. So there's no reason why they can't, especially in the hot spots, but have homeless, you know, a homeless squad that goes around and makes sure that everything's okay. Put the money into it, create a new job, because the money's already getting spent and wasted on enabling them and and like you said enforce the laws that are already there and clean it up or Mm -hmm. excuse me you know and i I, go help the people out and maybe you know because i am i look at it as a it's because it has been a pain in my butt before Mm -hmm. so you know not very often a homeless person has ever been you know I don't know. More than like, I, to be fair, I don't know if they're homeless or not, but the people that razz me all the time are the people that stand on the side of the street and beg for money and up in my grill, and I hate it. And so I personally don't even think they're homeless, but I still call them as homeless. So that's why I get pissy about them because, and I see them harassing other people too. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't want to hit them and splatter them on my freaking car. <laughs> no. Uh, no, that wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be good. No. Well, I, I think that... Uh, you know, it's an interesting topic. I think there are a lot of people out there interested in it, uh, you know, especially if, if there can be some solutions out there. And hopefully those solutions don't come from politicians because most politicians don't have a clue. They'll and, ruin it uh, all. And They'll... again, I think the private sector has the ability to be really innovative here. 
and to to do some things, especially with modern technology and building materials and but uh, we need what to we understand a, about those populations. We need to be able to, if we see, um, let's see if you can follow me. If we see that there's a $250,000 house there that they're charging already 500 for because I think everything's crazy inflated. So there's $500,000 for the house that you need. So if you go to the state and ask them, hey, this is what I want to do, it will be a million-dollar situation. You cannot do that for 500000 which is already inflated, to help. And, and it's all be off of you that they're going to have their hands, even if you do it legal to get the state's help, they're going to be overly influencing what you do to help. Mm-hmm. And I really feel, I think you mentioned it before, is they need to step the frick back and they need to relax a lot of the laws we have. There's no reason why I can't have three little houses out here and I can have, and it, it might not, I don't know if, how, if it will help, you know, homelessness, but if, it's, if I decided to rent them out for cheap, get some people that can't afford it a place to live and call their own where they wouldn't be able to before because the prices on rent, because I get it. I think people should be able to ask what they want to ask. But when inflation when our what we can make per hour or what we make has is stagnant and everything goes up something has to be a stop to to that or else the the upper middle class now is going to be pushed downward and i feel that there's got to be a like like it used to be back in the day about um insurance your car insurance it used to be it'd be high at one point but you could expect your car insurance to be the same. Well, next thing you know, it seems like it changes every year. If it, why would my why would it change? I haven't I haven't changed. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I heard that when you hit a certain peak, then it's going to start dropping. Well, that hasn't happened, you know. And I just well, uh, I know for a fact that we can build things a lot less expensive if if the government get out of the way on some of this yeah. stuff. I also think that uh, this whole idea of building tiny homes where the square footage is le- like less than 450 feet. Right. You can have a square cool feet. place for you, four or 500 yeah. feet. Yeah. Yeah. You can have one or two people live in that, in, in that space. I mean, people do it in their RVs all the time. They have the basic needs there. Right. And I believe that we, as you know, modern so far, modern society with all these mo- modern technologies, that there is an opportunity to manufacture these types of homes that are inexpensive, that are, you know, in somewhat cookie cutter, uh, where you can get the cost down, and if if you know the if the cost of let's say renting or buying them is is low enough for the size, you're not going to get people who are going to spend a lot of money on that you know on that that size of house. There's just right. there, there's a certain niche right for a certain type of category of housing that. If you can massively manufacture it and it's not like ultra frilly and all this stuff and make it really inexpensive, then then you're going to be marketing to a very small category of people, which is the category we're talking about. That's right. So uh, we, there are opportunities right now if the government would sort of kind of get out of the way of it. I agree. There is a lot of really intelligent business people out there. Let me, like... Even if it wasn't cost effective and it would be expensive to do it now, mm-hmm. but still, let me have my let me do what I want. Mm-hmm. I'll still pay for it all, but just just let me do what I want. Don't tell me I'm not zoned in for it, so you can't do it. You're not zoned in. Yeah. All right, so I'm I I haven't asked, 
But I'm sure I could say, well, how much to get zoned in? Well, that would be, blah, blah. well, that's my point is, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. It's, I would, the way I see it is I should be zoned in for a reason. Well, you know, the water table's up too high and it's marshy areas. You don't want to be over there in that zone and build that. Or, you know, mm -hmm. especially out here, you know, I, I just, if it's just money, then there shouldn't be a zone. You so, know, if it's just, if you just pay your way to be able to play, you, there shouldn't be a, a, a barrier there. There's a place in Hawaii, I don't remember which, which island it is, but there's a guy who, he's a part owner of the, I believe it's the Giants, actually. And he built sort of this community that we're kind of talking about. They're, they're smaller homes. They're not necessarily tiny homes, but they're a, a much smaller. I think they are like 450 square feet. And he's built them on this this area that is relatively self-sustaining. It's a community. In fact, it's kind of a gated type community. There's a structure with folks that live there that have a role in keeping the, the facility clean. There are other folks that have a role in making sure that, let's say, security is good. So there's rules are being followed. Right. And it gives them purpose, structure, and, dignity. Yeah, and, and this guy, confidence. and this guy is a—he's an entrepreneur. He owns a lot of different properties. He's partnered with a whole bunch of different companies within that area to provide the building structures, like all the uh, materials that are required to build it, uh, the plant life that that they've made around uh, those those places. Uh, he's got partnerships with other. Uh, organizations that have donated all of like the bedding, you know, beds and, and chairs and tables and other things that would go into it. That's kind of the, I think that's kind of what is needed, right? Government just kind of stay out of it. Let's let the private sector address it. Cause there's enough people who care and think about it. Marketing is an amazing thing. Yeah. You can get a lot of people on board with your idea. If you inspire them enough, and show that it's something of value, people will support you. There's tons of money out there going to all kinds of different uh, startup projects. And, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, Kickstarter campaigns out there for stuff that's really not that important in the grand scheme of things. There's opportunity here. I just think that we need to take take advantage of it. Right, right. So. Well, you ready to to wrap up show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great, uh, great discussion. Appreciate yeah. it. Okay, let's do. Let's end it on uh, a quote from Dwight Schrute. Let's end it on a, D a Dwight Schrute quote. That's a hard name to say, Dwight Schrute. I think that was on purpose. Okay. I, <laughs> I, I wonder because he's a difficult person. You yeah. know, <laughs> it just kind of goes with him. Uh, oh my goodness! He says, uh, "You only live once." False. You live every day. You only die once. <laughs> Truth matters. It does matter. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. If you don't mind, do us a favor and share this podcast with others. That would really, really help us out. And until we see you next time, take care. And be safe. Be safe.